thread. A singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. For more information, log on to Quinley.com. Thread. Greetings, I'm Chuck Quinley, and we're back with Thread episode 53. And uh, moving on ahead here and reaching more and more people every month. It feels great to watch the broadcast spreading. Let me give a shout out to the following cities. San Diego, Anchorage, Austin, Jacksonville, Chattanooga, Los Angeles, Phoenix, St. Louis, Birmingham, Chicago, and our market leader, San Antonio, Texas. Thank you for everybody who's tuning in to the Thread Podcast, and I want to ask you again, if you're enjoying the podcast and if it's helping you grow in the Lord, would you please pass it on to your friends and let other people know about it? so that the work that we do can spread and reach into more people's lives. God's Word is beautiful, and it changes us. And I enjoy studying it with you, and I know that uh, anytime we feed ourselves on God's Word, good things happen. So I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Write me, give me some stories, let me know what all is going on in your life, and Sherry and I will be joining you in prayer also about anything that you'd like to, to send to us. Well, it's been a very busy month, so haven't been posting very much. Came out of uh, some time with UCB board and visiting friends in Australia and now back in the States for a couple of weeks. And on Tuesday, I leave again for Asia and this time passing through Japan in the wake of their nuclear catastrophe and the just heartbreaking tsunami and earthquake that they've just gone through. It's going to take Japan years to get over this event, and I want you to join me in praying for the body of Christ to be able to demonstrate so much love and so much amazing compassion and sacrifice that the people of their nation will will be opened through the, through their sacrifices and that they'll understand the plan that God has for them and the love that God has for them despite these tragedies. Uh, today we're going to be talking about that plan, we're going to talk about that love and what love led the Lord to do. We're in Mark chapter 15, verses 51, sorry, Mark 14, verses 51 through 65, as we move into the trial of Jesus and into the passion and his death on the cross. So if you don't have your Bible, run, get one, and come right back for Thread. Okay, we're back in Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, and let's go back over again the big picture of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark was written because Simon Peter and the other apostles were being executed by Rome, and one by one they were passing off, uh, off the scene, and Mark was determined that the story and the accurate, uh, story about the life of Jesus that he heard Peter preaching over and over again, that it would be recorded. And there's a theme running through Mark's gospel, and it's a theme intended to prepare the first century church to undergo persecution. They had had persecution at the hands of the uh, local councils, the Jewish councils, because the very earliest Christians were Jewish. And then it became a, also a Gentile inclusive faith and then just uh, grew, in, grew in numbers greatly among non-Jewish believers, and now it is coming to the point that 
the empire itself is going to turn against the church. Initially, Christianity was uh, lumped under Judaism, and there was freedom of religion for Judaism, not to say that they were uh, always treated well, but at least it was acknowledged as a legitimate faith, and Christianity was a sect in it. But now it is standing alone, and the Roman Empire is about to come down on it with its full force. And Mark has a theme that he is going to bring into this book, and it's in it from the very beginning, and, and here he's going to bring it to its uh, ultimate conclusion, and that is the faithful servant of God will suffer persecution. As you stand for, for the Lord, as you stand up for kingdom principles in a generation that is blasphemous, is selfish, is uh, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, lovers of power, and those things invade even holy things like religion, uh, and it doesn't matter what religion you want to put a label on, uh, it gets invaded. All the systems of society, from the educational system to the government to the religious system, they all become invaded and they all attack the work of God uh, in that nation. And so Mark wants to prepare the church, and he's going to start by saying, Jesus, our founder, was the righteous servant of God. He came with the message of God. He lived a perfectly blameless life. And still, the authorities turned on him, persecuted him, and put him to death. We are his followers, and Jesus told us that this was going to happen to us also. And my brothers, you have to prepare your minds for this because it's coming on you. And so today we're going to look at the beginning of the Passion narrative. But I want you also to keep... Um, Keep an eye open for things going on in our own society and in our own generation where we're going to see this same, uh, this same kind of uh, persecution response because the kingdom of this age is a fallen dark kingdom of principalities, powers, and spiritual darkness in high places. It is a, an intelligent evil behind the evil in the world. It invades huge systems, banking and the family and all of it. It has all fallen. Our planet is a fallen planet and the evil and the wickedness that sin released into the world has invaded every part of our, of our life and we are not going to uh, easily make it into the kingdom. It is with force. It is with integrity. It is with determination that we go nose to nose against the powers, but we mustn't uh, stoop to become like the powers. You don't fight fire with fire. Uh, you fight fire with water. Uh, you, you, you show the opposite spirit to what the world is showing you. And we're going to see that in Jesus. He's going to show us how to successfully pass the test of persecution. And today, we're especially going to see how you pass the test of persecution when the evil powers use the legal system against you. Uh, you know, as I've, I've been a, a Bible teacher for about 30-something years now, and um, I always feel inadequate when I get into this section of Scripture because it's about the passion of Jesus and the suffering of Jesus and the death on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And that is just such a huge, I mean, it's what the whole world was created for. And when I get to that, I always feel inadequate and like, man, who am I 
to even talk about this. But today I'm going to trust God to to help me bring some things that I see in the text and just give you my particular view on this. Uh, in my in my youth, I held to a mythology uh, about my country and about something called the justice system. And I believe that the justice system resulted in justice. I believed that if you were in jail, it was because you were a criminal. You were a bad person. They caught you. And I believe that the system was fair and uh, really worked hard to make sure that everyone who was innocent would never be brought be brought to trial. And uh, but you know, I moved to the Philippines, and that was the closest I had ever gotten. You know, I think in in America, I'm insulated. I'm just one more middle class American. In the Philippines, the placement that God gave uh, Sherry and I there allowed me to know. You know, I knew a Supreme Court judge. I knew I went to the presidential prayer breakfast. I I ended up in situations that in my own country I could never have have been in. Um, And I also met the people who uh, own newspapers and those who print magazines. And I watched the point of all of it because uh, Metro Manila had 13 million people and it probably had 10 daily newspapers and um, all kinds of magazines. And, you know, I asked somebody, how can, how can these guys make money? There's so many papers that are all out there together. And the person looked at me like I was such a, a naive babe. And he said, you don't print papers in this country to make money. You hope you can make money. You print them for power. You print them for political advantage. It is your mouthpiece in the political system. And I watched that. Uh, I watched it used, and after a while, I started um, to notice, you know, okay, for example, uh, you know, when I was growing up, if I saw in the newspaper that someone was being investigated for, oh, I don't know, let's say something terrible, uh, child molestation, I assumed that he did it, and that now they're trying to put a good case together so they can put this terrible person behind bars. And then I got into the Philippines, and I watched some very rough politics. It's the most dangerous place. Well, I don't know about this year, but in, in the last five or six years, it's been the most dangerous place in the world to be a, a journalist. And, uh, you know, so all of a sudden, I question everything I see in the newspaper. If I see that someone is uh, accused of something, I, I start asking the question, who would benefit from accusing this person in public? Uh, why make such a big public issue out of this, especially if this person is themselves a political or business person or, you know, is in the power struggles that go on in any society, uh, there are battles going on. And I just started to notice things that, wow, you can use the newspaper as a weapon. You can use um, prosecution as a weapon. You can use lawsuits as a weapon, and it can be that the person didn't do anything. You just go to war. I was talking to a banker one day, and I said, how do they do uh, takeovers here uh, of businesses if you get like a hostile takeover? And he looked at me, and he said, my God, they just take it. They go into the bank because they have more money, and they just tell the bank, call the loans due. You know, do it now, and you can get charges, You know, get someone to file a charge, and or make a lawsuit, and if you've got more money than they do, you just keep dragging this thing out. You run them out of money until you just grind them down. Then you just take their business. It was just such a, you know, 
I just saw all these things that I used to think were were innocent, and I realized, man, these are tools. They're hopefully, you know, in the hands of good people, the law is good, but in the hands of someone who is uh, who has malice, they can find all kinds of evil uses for laws, uh, and that's what's happened here. Uh, as we read the story of Jesus, the attackers of Jesus wanted the legitimacy of the legal system to cover their dark deed. And so now they have descended upon him in the garden. They've come and arrested him. They didn't do it in the public eye because they were afraid of the mob. And so they've slipped out in the nighttime when no one is there so they can already checkmate and get Christ. So they have him arrested, but they know they have to follow a certain amount of uh, propriety. Now they're holding a trial in the middle of the night, which was illegal. He's not allowed to bring his own witnesses, which is illegal. And from the very beginning, you get the point that this council has already determined that they are uh, going to find him guilty. They are going to execute him. They just need some scrap of evidence. They need some kind of legal leg to stand on. And this troublemaking teacher is going to die. They have made up their mind. They have worked this plan for a long time. And tonight is the night they execute it. So they come down upon Jesus and the disciples in the garden. They arrest him. If you're in chapter 14, you see verse 51 and 52 says, A young man was following him. He had nothing but a linen cloth about his body. They seized him, but he left the linen cloth and he ran away naked. Uh, tradition tells us this was Mark. And because uh, his family was connected to the early disciples and that that was him that night uh it's a little side note that's nothing major in the text now the main point of the text jesus is before the council uh they led jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and elders and scribes came together and peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest that's a pretty bold thing to do he was Sitting with the guards, he was warming himself at the fire. And again, very courageous to be there, but he's hoping nobody notices. The chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. The law required them to have three testimonies, and they can't find three people that'll say the same thing. Some stood up, bore false witness. They said, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple. Jesus didn't say he would destroy it. Uh, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. He was speaking of his resurrection. He, pointed, he said, you destroy this temple, his body. And in three days, I will raise it up. Uh, but they're misquoting his words. But even that, verse 59 says, they couldn't get it straight. They couldn't get their testimony to agree. Um, you know, it's a, it's a foregone conclusion. This is not about justice. The justice system in this case is in the hands of the wicked, and they don't want justice. They want their powerful political way. And um, they needed a legitimacy to surround and cover up their, their fake righteousness. Now, notice that Jesus has not entered this situation blind. He knew. He was in the garden praying about it. He knew it was about to happen to him. The Holy Spirit had revealed it. And when he stands here, he has no legal strategy. 
he's not focused on trying to get away from these people. He knows what they've come to do, and he knows that they will do it. He does not uh, fight back. He does not try to defend himself against what they're saying. Um, this is the night where evil is going to be allowed to rise up. He doesn't see himself as a victim. And if you watch his poise, you know, he maintains his authority. He maintains his integrity. He has a kingdom mindset from beginning to end. He is absolutely and totally full of faith. And he has a total trust in the sovereignty of God. And that's really what meekness is. The Bible talks about the meekness of Jesus. In many prophecies, it speaks about how the lamb just walked right up to the slaughter. Meekness is not weakness. Weakness is when you are broken and you can't do anything. Meekness means you have great power, but your power is under your control. And you believe with all your heart that there is an unseen hand guiding your life. You trust and rest in the power of your father to bring you where he wants you to go. And sometimes the place where the father wants to take us goes through the valley of suffering. And it may go right through a valley of injustice in your case. And people, uh, you know, I, I called out the U.S. cities that are listening to this uh, podcast, but there, there are people from other countries in Asia and some of them are persecution countries. And um, you may be listening and you might find yourself one day in the hands of a very powerful system that you have no, uh, you have no ability to fight. In that day, let me encourage you, just model after Christ. Don't fight. Just rest in the Lord. Oh, but they might kill me. They really might. And it may be the will of God. And if they do you will have fulfilled the will of God in your life. Jesus, that's what meekness is. It says, what happens to me, it's not fatalism that says, oh, you know, gee, I can't change anything. Meekness says, I trust the Father. The Father loves me, cares about me. He is absolutely sovereign and nothing will happen that does not please him. And if he chooses to take me through fire, if he chooses to... Let me go through some hardship. I know he is with me and that the thing I'm facing is not me as a victim, uh, me abandoned, but it is the hand of God on my life and he is making me a champion and he is taking me right through this fire and he will purify me. But I have to trust him. I have to trust his sovereignty. Maybe you'll win in the end or maybe you will lose in the end as people see it. But if you stand there and hold to your integrity, you will come out okay. You know, I have seen, uh, I've seen believers and I've seen them in trials. I've seen some that handled it so beautifully, uh, legal trials, and I've seen others just totally lose it. You know, once it got to the, uh, even, you know, sometimes it's not even a court. It's between church, you know, it's like in your own denomination, you're being sort of tried and questioned and judged by others. And I've seen believers just lose it and they become petty and whiny, and they compromise their integrity. Maybe they even get vindictive and start doing things, or they lie, or they cover up, or they it's, it's like a panic response, trying to avoid pain and suffering. Jesus just puts his nose right into the wind, and he is, he is ready to deal with this. And if it's going to be suffering, he's ready to suffer. If it's dying, 
He's ready to die. He's asked the Father, if there's any way to take this cup from me, would you do it? But not what I choose, what you choose. Your will be done. Uh, you know, he just stands there with his full integrity. And it frustrates the system because they have already, the verdict was done before he even stood trial. And they are determined to get what they're going to get out of him. And this is going to go on all night long until they finally are going to come up with some strategy. And so the priest can't get his witnesses that have been prompted to give the testimony they've been told to give. They're messing it up. And now he asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? These people are testifying against you, but Christ remained silent. He gave him no answer. The high priest asked him again, and uh, in other of the Gospels it says he, he made, he had, what's it? it's like he, he's, it's like an oath, you know. I adjure you by God to answer me. And when he did that, he asked the question, are you the Messiah? Are you the son of the blessed? And Jesus answered, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power. You know, you guys think you're all about power. You will see me seated at the right hand of the father, seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. You know, he's got his integrity. He's not, he's not screaming in the man's face. He's not trying to get away from this. He is who he has always been. And even as he's about to face their wrath, he's still got his integrity and he's got his strength. The high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him. I would hate to be these people as they look upon his face one day. And to cover his face and strike him saying, prophesy, tell us who hit you. And the guards received him with blows. You know, so hell has been frustrated because they couldn't appear to be righteous. And now they believe they have their legal grounds and all hell breaks loose in the, in the, among the priests who've been meeting on how to murder this innocent man. And they have such glee. And now they're just going to totally empty all their venom on Christ. And he is going to suffer horribly at their hands. But as Paul wrote in first Corinthians, he said, if the powers, the demon powers, the human powers, if the powers had known what they were doing, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. God had a plan more mysterious and more powerful than anything that they could comprehend on that day. And Jesus was willing to pass right through the valley of suffering to get to that plan. And my friend, if you're suffering today, if you suffer injustice, let me promise you that there's something on the other side of the injustice. That's not the end of the story. God is taking you somewhere. And one day you'll look back on this situation. And if you pass through it with your integrity intact, you're going to know that thing made you who you are. So I'm encourage you today, have strength in the Lord, Deal with your injustices, the unfairnesses of life. Don't lower yourself. Don't worry about losing and winning the way the world sees it. Stand with your integrity. Stand with your confidence and your trust. Believe that the Father controls your destiny. It means you lose your business. You lose your piece of property. You lose your, what, you know, your reputation, what people would say against you. Just rest in the Lord. 
Just rest in the Lord. Sometimes you can't do anything else. And you can just cease striving and believe that your Father will make it all work out in the end. That's all for today. Uh, Again, my personal email, chuck at quinley.com. If you'd like to write me, ask any questions, just write me there. I would love to hear from you. We'll see you next time on Thread. 